the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about self-acceptance and discovery. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Kaylee, an ordained pastor from Georgia who was dismissed from seminary for being trans and now advocates for LGBT plus inclusion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Transgender Show. I'm your host, Emily. My guest tonight is Kaylee. Kaylee is a ordained pastor in Georgia and an advocate for the LGBTQIA inclusion in religious institutions. She has a passion for building community and supporting and protecting the rights of individuals. She was dismissed from her seminary after being outed as trans. She then joined the lawsuit challenging religious exemptions in Title IX in order to stop religious institutions from discriminating against LGBTQIA plus folks while receiving federal funding. Everybody, welcome to the show. Kaylee. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Kaylee. With that out of the way, I like to jump in with my first question about your story, which is my favorite one. How did you choose your name? Yeah, my name is actually my given name, except for I changed the spelling on it. So, yeah, I, I didn't actually like choose a new name. <laughs> I often wonder when people choose a name that's that's very close to theirs or is just the the feminine version. You know, like uh, when they when you do that, a lot of times like the nicknames and stuff like that are the same. Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. that in any way contribute to dysphoria for you? No. Um, so I, I like, I like my name. Um, and being, I mean, being called Kaylee, <laughs> well, be, being raised to be like a cis male. Um, and with the name Kaylee, I got like teased a lot for having a feminine name, but, uh, I really kind of like how, I don't know. I kind of feel like I took back my name <laughs> a little bit. Um, but at the same time, like, I definitely needed to do something because uh i don't know i just felt like i needed to change something but i didn't actually want to like change my name so yeah i i just chose to to spell it differently and a lot, a lot of that is from lyrics from the artist similar mm -hmm. because they have a couple lines about um like learning your name and and stuff like that that um was really resonating with me. Like, I really need to like break free from the way that a lot of people saw me and to like actually be myself, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually want to change my name. So that's why I, I, I decided to just change the spelling is, is all I really did. I love that making the, the change and, and getting to be yourself without having mm -hmm. to get up, give up yourself or, or what you liked about yourself. I love yeah. that. So you mentioned in the pre-interview that you transitioned recently. Um, when did you first realize that the term transgender was what applied to you? Um, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's really an interesting story. I actually like came out to my wife uh, before I had the terminology tra trans or transgender, <laughs> which, um, uh, yeah, because I like I was just telling her like how I was feeling and stuff like that, um, but didn't actually know that anything like gender dysphoria or uh, you know like all the stuff that I know now. Um, so like after after the conversation is whenever like I, I got on Google and like searched what I was talking about and it's like oh this is called gender dysphoria this and this is 
what trans people experience. And so that's, that is kind of like the shortened version of, of how I came to realize that that's like a good description of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but the day that that started was actually July 4th, uh, 2019. Wow. And so what sort of things did you bring up in that first conversation with your wife? What were, what were those things that you, you could put words to that you were feeling? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, my wife and I were like, uh, we, we, we were both like raised very conservative Christian and, mm -hmm. um, we've been to, we've been together for uh 14 years now um so we've been together a long time uh but like we had changed our faith a lot and like we were in this process of like figuring out like who we are um she came out to me as bisexual um but she kept on saying like what what is it about you you can't be just you know a straight guy <laughs> uh, and, um, so like, finally she, she was actually asking me if like, it would be, I'd be interested in doing drag, um, which is not the same thing, but, uh, I like, I kind of latched onto that and was like, actually, uh, I would actually like to be a woman. Um, which, you know, that, that language is still like, Looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I was, I was a woman. I just, you know, hadn't put words to it yet. But, you know, at, the, at that point, I was like very much in this, you know, I was assigned male at birth and like, this is who I'm supposed to, supposed to be apparently. Mm -hmm. um, and so like the way I worded it was like, yeah, I would like to be a woman and be perceived as a woman and stuff like that. Hmm. So, um, yeah, there was a little confusion in that conversation because of like different contexts of how we were talking and and things like that. Yeah, isn't it crazy? I I think that's um, pretty common. You know, the not having the language, not kind of fully understanding things, but uh, that thought that you couldn't say that I am a woman, that, that you want to be a woman because again, you're signed male at birth, and it, it's just something. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's out there that you don't have access to and you're not supposed to. So it's like, it's more something that you want to do than it is something you need to do or that you already are. I love yeah, that. yeah, definitely. As you looked into the terms and got to this point of like, yes, I'm transgender. What I'm experiencing is gender dysphoria. I like to then go back and kind of trace back those breadcrumbs that led up to that. What were some of those for you that you could trace back to your youth um, and kind of pinpoint what the earliest uh, period that may, you might have experienced some of these things? Um, yeah, so, so one of the things uh, is, like I said, I, I grew up very conservative Christian um, and I grew up like my family, um, would you know celebrate easter and on every easter i or i remember being really young and being super excited about easter because easter is that time that you dress up and like my mom would make uh homemade dresses for um for my sister and stuff and then like easter would come and i would dress it in like a nice button-up shirt and nice pants and like 
it was honestly the most like disheartening feeling of showing up uh like that um and like at the time i really framed it like you know i just don't like dressing up um now looking back on it i was realizing that <laughs> i was actually upset that i didn't have that same like position of of you know looking pretty on on easter uh mm -hmm. and like i shared that and, and i realized like in a lot of settings with like cis people like um i've had people latch onto that and be like so you just wanted to dress like a girl and it's like no i actually was like five years old and feeling a sense that i wasn't accepted in the place that i needed to be accepted at mm -hmm. and that really came out during like easter because all of these like other girls were getting these really nice dresses the first time they're wearing them showing up to uh, church and everybody's saying, oh, you look so pretty in your Easter dress and all this stuff. And it's like, I, I wasn't allowed in that space. Um, and so like, it, it, it was much less to do with the, the clothing and a lot to do with like the actual fact that I didn't feel like I was in the right space when I was there. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I couldn't have put words to it back then, um, but like looking back on it, like that's exactly like what I was feeling. Um, so that's like one of my earliest like memories of having dysphoria. Um, but it's like it's like it's really hard because uh, as a kid, I didn't have language for being trans. I I was taught that you know being uh, that, that there's people that are gay and there's people that are Honestly, it was not gay. So there's the normal people and there's the gay people. And being gay was wrong and sinful. And like, you can't be around those people. Like, I had an aunt tell me that I shouldn't be watching The Lion King because Elton John did the music and Elton John is gay and like all of these things. So like my entire framework of understanding myself was you're either normal or gay mm -hmm. um and i'm sorry like there's people watching and i'm using triggering language i'm i'm like really sorry uh i this is definitely not how i i see, see the world today that's how it was presented to me um, no and I'm sure I, yeah we we talk about this very <laughs> often on this show that's it's very common especially you know from the the kids that are brought up in highly christian families there's mm -hmm. there's uh there's straight and there's gay uh, there's wrong and there's everybody or there's right and there's everybody else yeah. and every yeah. everybody else is wrong um, and then I love of course the turn where you're like no I'm not gay I'm trans uh, but I'm gay because I like women <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah like I I grew up in that context of like knowing I was different and being terrified that I was different mm. and like praying that I wasn't gay and, but like also being re like reassuring myself that I wasn't because I was only into women. Um, and so like that, and I don't know, it, it's, it's like, if you're not given the language to understand who you are as a kid, it gets framed in what language you have. Yeah. And so that's what I, I did. I framed it in the language I had, which was very limited. So like now I'm going back and looking at different events and be like, oh, 
that was dysphoria. That was um, me recognizing who I was back then, but couldn't like actually acknowledge it because I, I couldn't, like, I didn't have the language. If I, if I did, like my family, my family would have disowned me. Like I have a, I have a gay older cousin that's like seven years older than me. Um, and he came out as gay and like my family disowned him. So like, there's, I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to like keep you in the closet and keep you from like asking questions about your identity and, and who you are. And so, uh, to, to like work through that and then look back on everything is, is kind of a lot yeah. <laughs> whenever. Yeah. So your, your wife, you know, you get into this conversation with your wife and she mentions, a, you know, probably a couple of times that um, you can't just be a straight guy. That's like, there's something's not computing yeah. here. What was it though, that actually cracked your egg? What was it that, that led to, we need to have a conversation. There's something big going on here. Oh, it was my, my wife actually, it was the one that initiated that conversation thinking that uh, I would, um, that I would like to do drag or something and she started it. Mm -hmm. So like, actually is my, okay. is my wife that, cra that cracks my egg for, for bringing up the conversation. Yeah. So she broached the subject and, and it all, and it all kind of clicked for you and it's yeah. just like, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, that, that let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like all of those pieces of like my, my background, my history and different aspects of like my experience, like just made sense, mm -hmm. like recognizing that this is what's going on. Like I, I, it's, it's almost like I didn't give myself permission to connect those dots until my wife was like, Hey, I think that you would enjoy doing drag. And I heard it as I think you would enjoy being a woman. Um, and, uh, just that little bit of permission was enough to actually, um, like go through everything and recognize like all the little, like it was like a puzzle being put together finally after years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was my wife, like, um, just asking the question, honestly. <laughs> So you've got kind of a, a mixed past with, um, you know, you know, the LGBT uh, in your family and in your experience where you're, you're brought up to think that it was all bad. It was all wrong. Then you have a cousin that comes out and is roundly rejected by your family. And then mm -hmm. your wife comes out to you as bisexual. By the time it was your turn to come out and start to accept who you were, um, what was that internal struggle for you? And how did you come to accept those those terms? Was it difficult for you or because you'd sort of had this this lead up with the people you know, in your life, um, it was a little bit easier for you to, to accept and to come to grips with? Um, so, I mean, one of the biggest things for me was uh, deconstructing my faith to the point where like, I know I didn't, uh, because I was already an ordained pastor <laughs> at this point. Um, and, uh, I had deconstructed the point where like, I was affirming of, of LGBTQ plus people. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I don't think I had told too many people at this point. Um, and 
Uh, but that was like a big factor, like giving myself permission, like I'm not going to go to hell <laughs> is, um, and I've moved a long ways from there. Like, uh, I don't, I don't really think of things in what, uh, honestly, I don't really believe in hell, <laughs> um, which we maybe we'll get into that later. Uh, but, uh, having, but having worked through my faith and stuff like that was kind of a big a uh, big factor in it. Uh, um, I didn't tell, I didn't hardly tell anybody for almost a year, about, or about nine months, um, besides, like, besides my wife. So I told a cousin, I told one friend, and my wife told a friend, and like, that was pretty much it. <laughs> uh, and one of the reasons was I was, enrolled in seminary and in a seminary that would not take very kindly to the fact that I'm trans because they think that it's wrong. Um, so like, there's kind of that, uh, I'm recognizing that I'm trans, but I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Yeah. That kind of happens. So it was really like weighing where, where I'm at, what I'm trying to do, uh, plus like, uh, like navigate, you know, being married and all this. Cause my wife thought she was married to a man, right? <laughs> like that's a, that's a big change. Um, so it was, there was a lot to, um, to work through. And like I said, coming out to my, I knew coming out to my family wasn't going to go over well coming out to my wife's family wasn't going to go over well. It, uh, it was kind of a lot. So, so it was basically until I decided to transition, um, the following April. So April, 2020 that, um, I even really started to actually tell anyone. Mm -hmm. And, um, how did you get to there? How, how did you go from having to look online to find out that you're trans to figuring out what it was that you needed to do in your transition to be yourself? Um, honestly, like, there's honestly just a lot of excitement, um, like learning about it and like reading and reading articles about um, what trans people go through and be like, Oh, that's actually my story. And, um, like seeing, seeing the outcome of like people being happy at the end of transitioning and all this stuff, like, I honestly just got really excited that, um, that I, I could actually do this. Uh, and I, I mean, I was, I was right. <laughs> uh, it's like, so one of the things that my mom asked whenever I came out to her was like, I thought that you were happy. Why would you go through with this? And um, like, I can honestly tell you now, I didn't know what being happy with yourself was until I transitioned. Uh, it's honestly like the first, like, I, I you know, I'm 34 years old. <laughs> it, it took me 30, uh, 33 years to start transitioning. So it took 33 years for me to actually feel comfortable in the body that I was given. Mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, I mean, I was excited. <laughs> I was excited to um, get to that same point. <laughs> Such a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, that uh, I looking back, you know, I, I posted a transition Tuesday post today and it's just like, you know, there are a lot of smiles in the old photos. And it's just like, you know, I was I was happy and I could mm -hmm. be happy. But the thing I wasn't happy with was myself. So that's that's a really that's a really key distinction there and a really nice way of putting like what the impetus is and what the big thing that needs to happen in our lives for us to find that inner happiness. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump ahead a little bit in the coming out story to your parents. Um and and how how first did you broach that topic? And, you know, how did that conversation go? Um, so honestly, I, uh, I, <laughs> I got really emotional whenever I was coming up on my, uh, first appointment to, to start HRT. Um, and I, I like, I really wished that my mom would be there with me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like realizing that I hadn't even told her. Um, also, we don't live in the same state. I, I'm in Georgia, she's on the West Coast. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's that entire thing, but um, yeah, I just like, I really realized that I really, wanted my parents to know and hoped that they would be okay and accept me. Um, and like, that was like something like super like in my core, like I have to give at least my mom the opportunity to uh, accept me for who I am uh, or um, yeah. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's why like I made the decision to tell them when I did. Uh, um, I actually didn't tell my mom or my dad. I only told my mom, um, and I called her because I had an appointment, my appointment coming up like in a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just forced myself to tell her <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's how I went about it. <laughs> well, that's another important point that we sort of it's really easy to lose sight of because we're afraid we're worried about people who, how people are going to react we prejudge how people are going to react and mm -hmm. we avoid some of those conversations and it's important to remember that a lot of the times we need to give people the chance to accept us we need to yeah. give them the chance to react how they're going to react and see how that is i found that more often than not uh, people generally surprise you and they're more supportive than you think. Um, family, of course, though, is the one wild card where it's like, no, they pretty much react the way you would think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I had a little bit of ambiguity of what might happen just because, like I said, I already worked through like spiritual issues and, and being affirming of LGBTQ plus people. And so like, I actually would have conversations with my mom about uh, like how I became affirming and stuff. And she seemed like she was actually coming around. Hmm. And so maybe if I didn't tell her for, 
another like few months, it might have went different. Um, but uh, <laughs> I really wasn't in the place to wait a few more months because <laughs> I just needed to tell her. So yeah, I, that was that's why like I had some ambiguity about what like how my mom would actually react. Mm -hmm. um, virtually everybody else reacted the way that we anticipated. My wife's parents reacted the way she thought they would. My dad reacted the way I thought he would. Um, the the most surprising person was actually my sister. And I actually told my, my uh, I didn't include her. She was actually the second person I told <laughs> um, because I, uh, after my egg, my egg cracked, uh, I was visiting family back on the West Coast and uh, she was going through some hard stuff and like, um, so to like kind of share that I was going through things too. Like I came out to her hmm. and it, it was really interesting because like the day before we had a conversation about, uh, the fact that she didn't feel comfortable with trans people using the women's restroom whenever she has kids. So like, it was a little, it was a little sketchy. Um, but honestly, like she has been supportive and affirming ever since I came out. Um, yeah. And that's honestly been like really ama amazing to, yeah. to see that. Cause uh, yeah, for, for her to go from like where she was the day before to like accept, accepting me the next day was, I mean, like, that's kind of what a loving family is supposed to be like, yeah. right? <laughs> um, like you, you tell them something, especially about like who you are and they're just like, okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I wish, <laughs> I wish more family would respond in that way. Yeah. So how is she on the uh, bathroom bills issue then now? Um, she, she changed her mind. We, we actually me and her husband actually got her to a different um, position uh, that day. Mm. Uh, just being like, honestly, the most dangerous place for kids is the men's restroom with all of the cis guys. Um, because, uh, or like, you know, in a church because clergy have a tendency to like be pedophiles apparently. And like, most people in a bathroom actually want to just pee <laughs> like surprise surprise yeah right so uh, it yeah that, that i mean that conversation like she she changed her mind i think she just you know had seen uh seen news or social media or whatever and um like had an opinion and hadn't actually expressed it or anything mm -hmm. so as we said in the intro, in your bio there, you were dismissed from seminary because you were outed. How did that come about? And um, uh, yeah, what, what were those, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, um, so yeah, with, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do some story for, for this. Perfect. Um, so I, I graduated my, from, 
my undergrad in 2009 and I went directly to seminary, which I went to Lincoln Christian University. Um, and from 2009 to 2010, I did three semesters at Lincoln and got a, some credit. I don't remember how many credits, but I was also married. We had just had our daughter and it was 2010 and like the economy just sucked and it was rural Illinois. <laughs> so I, I left seminary and I joined the military and I was in the military for almost nine years. Um, the, the last year uh, during my military, I knew I was, I was getting out and I wanted to start taking classes. I wanted to finish my seminary education. And so, you know, it'd been, it'd been eight years by this point. And, um, so like the only place I was going to take all my credits was Lincoln <laughs> and, uh, like, I didn't want to go back, uh, it, like, I didn't want to go to a new school and like lose credits and stuff and just have to make up work. But also like Lincoln is my tradition. It's independent Christian church. It's what I grew up in and was part of for uh, 30 plus years. So like it made sense to to go back to Lincoln that they had, they were offering their Masters of Divinity as an online program. So I actually enrolled uh, or I, I got accepted into the school and enrolled um, the end of spring 2019. <laughs> and like I said, my egg cracked uh, July 4th, 2019. <laughs> so um, I was already registered for school. Like uh, uh, I, ha I mean, I had to make a choice. Like I, I chose to continue going to seminary because like I said, <laughs> your egg cracks and like you don't know what you're going to do. Right. <laughs> like it takes some time to actually process and like know what exactly you want, you do want to do. And so like I went forward and I, I started taking classes. Um, and so I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I started so what was, there. What was I it knew the... that they weren't. Oh, go ahead. Uh, what? Oh, I, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I stepped on you. Oh, okay. Um, I knew that they weren't a, an affirming school, but I didn't know if I was going to transition or whatever. So I, I started taking classes again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like during this process, uh, or during the time that I was at school, I realized I did need to actually transition. Um, and so I started transitioning in April of 2020, um, which was, you know, <laughs> right at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> but uh, also, like all my classes were at a distance. I live in Georgia, they're in Illinois. So it's like, I'm not even there in person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I did, I did another uh, over a year of school um, going full time. And uh, then just the end of last summer uh, I, uh, in August, they sent me um, they sent me an email and it said notice of, it said notice of charge. Um, but I misread it and I said notice, I thought it said notice of change because, um, one of my professors 
actually just left like right before the semester started. Mm -hmm. So I'm like a week in, but one of my classes is still like, they're still figuring it out. Um, and so I'm like, oh, okay. Notice of change has something to do with probably with this class that's kind of up in the air. Um, and then like the subject of the email is like, uh, uh, is see attached for notice of charge. And again, misread it because I had already misread it. I assumed, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was uh, literally sitting in the parking lot picking up my kid from an after school program and just looking at my phone because my that email came in. And so I opened the attachment and it's like right there at the beginning they're just like tell me that they uh <laughs> tell me that because i uh am choosing to live as a transgender woman that um that is against their policy and basically i had a choice to um withdraw from classes because it was still in that grace period mm -hmm. uh, uh, of like, you can pull out and not get charged for the credits. Um, and I had three days to do that. <laughs> so it's not like, wasn't necessarily like, it takes some time to think about it. Like it had to happen um, or stay in school and face a disciplinary committee. Um, and like, I don't know about the average person, but I don't have a few thousand dollars to risk being kicked out of school, uh, like formally. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I withdrew from classes, um, because that's, uh, those were my options. I, I mean, it's not really an option. <laughs> like no, n most people, like we were on a single income. Um, I don't have thousands of dollars to try to fight something that I know I'm going to lose because I know their stance. So, um, yeah. So I'm like just sitting in the parking lot and I read this letter and uh it's just it was so dehumanizing to to just have them point out you choose to identify as a transgender woman and it's like it's not even tr true like yeah i'm a trans woman like i didn't choose this I, I like this is literally who i am and like just reducing me to this ideology that they can say shouldn't exist in their institution. Um, yeah, dehumanizing is just really the only word that really captures it because they no longer saw me as a person. They saw me as an issue that needed to be resolved. And so quickly, like, apparently. <laughs> yeah, quickly. Um, so yeah, but like, I, like I said, I was picking up my kid. I still had a I still had to get them home. I had to make dinner. I had to get my kids in bed. Um, I had to like, you know, clean up after dinner, <laughs> like all these, all these normal things that you have to do every single day, uh, like still has to get done. And like, uh, I just, I, I just shoved it down. I was like numb for, for a few hours until finally my kids were in bed and like, it just came out. <laughs> um, and, uh, it was, I mean, it was hard, like to just be treated in, in a way, in that way to, to not be seen as a real person and to be told that you don't belong 
because mm-hmm. we don't like the fact that you exist. It like that, that's honestly traumatizing. I, yeah. uh, I actually did get into another seminary like really quick and that's a, its own story. But I like, I didn't feel safe in the academic space for, um, until the end of the semester, like I didn't actually get into an academic headspace until I was writing the final paper for one of my classes. <laughs> like mm. uh, it was hard. It, it was, it, it, yeah, it, it, it was just really hard to, to process and, and work through all that. I can imagine. Yeah. Especially since it's, it's what you grew up with. It's this, this organization, this thing, you know, that you've, it's all about faith and you've had your faith in them. And then just like that, they've turned their back on you. Did you have any indication of how they, they found out and you know, why this came to light being a remote student? Um, they cited that, uh, they cited a, a article that I wrote for an online blog. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, I was doing a mentored, um, it, it was mentored ministry experience. So I was, inter- I'm, was interning at the church that I still work at this mm-hmm. church, but it was counted as a internship. Uh, and the, the senior pastor was my mentor and he, <laughs> no, knowing that they weren't an affirming institution chose to not use pronouns <laughs> for, um, for his review of me. And so they said that they found that article. And then on top of that, um, the, uh, the way that the senior pastor worded things, um, in that like review time, Hmm. um, Hmm. I do have, I do have a theory about like the possibility of something else had happened, but that's like, I don't have any proof. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Did your mentor help you in finding another seminary then to go through to complete? Because it sounded like you had the support of, of your mentor and that church, right? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> so it's actually, yeah, that's a really interesting story. Um, and I think it kind of highlights the way that Twitter is like the way a lot of, uh, at least a lot of queer people connect <laughs> that I've found Hmm. um uh so yeah like he reached out to the school that he went to and the admissions the the one of the people in admissions contacted me and talked to me and wanted to try to help me um and uh i was having the issue of basically no seminary is going to take more than one third of the required credits uh which is really crappy of them uh they um they want you to do it their way with the yeah they want um and and so like we're having like my pastor was like look uh this is an injustice that you can you can fix can you help out and so uh and this was lexington theological seminary and they were they were actually trying to work and um to to get it so they could bend the rules for me and so they were in that process um there was a few other seminaries that I reached out to that basically just said no. Um, but 
this person in admissions was going to wild goose festival um and then met aaron green from reap who reap is uh who i'm par partnering with with this lawsuit um and so i got connected with reap and then like aaron was aaron was just like um how uh is there anything that we can do to help you right now? And I was just, I was so frustrated about not finding a seminary that would take my credits. That was just like, honestly, I just really wish I could find a seminary um, where I don't have to go back uh, an extra year and a half. And so they, they tweeted, <laughs> it's, it's time for something like it's time for affirming seminaries to step up and take the credits of queer students that are being kicked out of, of their schools and I uh, love it. Yeah. And then, um, uh, Mason Menega from United Theological Seminary of Twin Cities was like, we actually specifically work to take as many credits as possible. Can I connect with this person? <laughs> and so, uh, that day, um, <laughs> that day I got an email from Mason and it was like, can we be on a zoom call tonight? It was like nine o'clock at night. So I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Um, so sure. everything like, for you in seminary had to happen immediately. Super fast. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and, and like my, my, like people started to see that, like what happened to me in like the queer Christian seminary circles, because I, like I had tweeted about being kicked out of seminary and it got really popular, mm -hmm. uh, which was really weird because I started that day with 72 followers and, <laughs> um, like I was not ready for, uh, a tweet to have that much attention. So that was also overwhelming. <laughs> um, and so like he had already seen my tweet, uh, and, from like a week or so before um and like so we got on a zoom call and he's like uh our classes start tomorrow <laughs> if you can if you can fill out this application form and get it in tonight then we will get you in seminary and we will get as many credits as possible um and I'm gonna set you up with, I'm gonna set you up with a meeting with our registrar first thing tomorrow morning so you can get registered for classes. And so that's what happened. Like the, I had a meeting with the registrar the very next day and we, uh, classes started on a Thursday, which was weird, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so we just, we took, uh, I took two classes that didn't start that Thursday. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I ended up getting in two classes, like just a couple of weeks after being kicked out of the other one. Um, and United that's is, it has trimesters. Mm. So that's why they were, they started later because they actually have a full term during the summer. Okay. So they start almost a month, almost well, three weeks or so later than other seminaries, mm. uh, during the fall term. So that's how I was able to get into another seminaries. They just have a different schedule. <laughs> um, but also like I had to pay out of pocket for two classes. Cause I was, I was in the military and I was paying with, 
with my GI Bill, but that has to be approved before <laughs> classes start. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't get it approved um, through to the new school. So I had to actually pay out of pocket to take those classes. So everything happened super fast, but too fast for the military to help you pay for it. That's a bummer. Yeah. That, that's, that's about normal. <laughs> so um, you had, you had your church that you were already involved in and you had a mentor. As far as being trans and new to this identity, new to the language, uh, what was your first experience in trying to find community, trying to find others that were like you to, to help you kind of understand what this was going to be like? Um, yeah, like I said, I started transitioning April 2020, which has its ups and downs. <laughs> uh, the the downs is like um, nobody nobody was seeing was meeting up in person anywhere. Um, but also like I moved to where I'm at now. And so like I left all of my friends behind cause I'm in a new city, there's a pandemic, so I can't meet new people. Uh, so I spent like the first nine months of transitioning, like not having any, really anybody, um, which that was hard. <laughs> uh, I, I was, uh, I kind of connected with some people over Twitter, but that was mostly like me following people and not, nobody else knowing who I was. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so like that part was, that part was really hard because I didn't I didn't get a community. Um, the, I mean, there were upsides. Like I went through the awkward phases of transition. Um, without people seeing me, uh, I did laser hair removal and stuff, uh, while wearing a mask every time I went out in public. So like, you know, there were upsides too, but, yeah. uh, yeah, the, the truth is I didn't really have a community until about nine months in, um, uh, actually whenever I found the church, um, that I'm at, uh, that was that was the first people that was was kind of a community um there uh there there are other trans people connected with the church but not like it was still like that was january 2021 and like so church isn't in person it's like the senior pastor and the worship or the music director and the organist and like those are the people i interacted with for the first few months uh, it um but i got i got connected with um the old the, or the previous seminary intern mm -hmm. and she um she's trans as well and oh, okay. she's actually the first uh I, I believe she's the first ordained or first trans person ordained by the Georgia region, uh, of the disciples of Christ. So that was really cool. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, other than that, like a lot of my community has come from online. Um, almost, almost all of it has come from online. Just, I don't know, uh, queer people tend to take science serious. And so 
we weren't really the ones going out <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. up in groups. So like that part was really hard. They're like you connected with people online or you didn't connect with people because people weren't meeting up. <laughs> well, and that's why, you know, I think the, that, that's why I felt so strongly to start something like this, where like we've got community, it's all online. You know, we've got people from all over the, the world. I know very few people in my local area, sort of the same thing. I've been able to kind of branch out a little bit since things have loosened up. But yeah, you know, most of mine has come from online and bringing it into the real world, you know, actually meeting up with people and things like that. But then also, like I said, you know, starting something like this, where there's a show where people from the community can actually see us and hear us and hear our stories. And, you know, hopefully that that brings that connection, you know, um, just kind of kind of seeing it out there, seeing people that are going through the same thing and then being able to interact um, with chat, which, of course, you can't do right now. But uh, we'll bring forth their questions and comments after we take our break. So I've got, you know, we're we're pretty far through uh, this portion of the show, uh, I have a very ethereal question I like to ask people, and that is on, on, a, on, a, on a deep level, what does transition mean to you? Um, to me, it means living into who I am. Uh, I, I, like I spent the vast majority of my life trying really hard to be a guy. <laughs> like, I feel like you shouldn't have to try hard to be like who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and so transitioning for me has just been mostly giving up trying so hard. Uh, it And just really just being who, who I am. I and love that, that's beautiful. Yeah, uh, I mean, so yeah, that that's it's it's just I don't have to try anymore. <laughs> that so yeah, uh, my follow up question to that usually is how far are you along in your process? How far do you feel that like you are as far as like where you started knowing nothing and what maybe your initial end goals were? Where are you at? Um, I mean, my end goals whenever I started, I didn't really have them um i'm i'm actually in a really pretty good place at the moment there's still some things i would like to do um that i'm, I'm trying to situate things so i can do them mm -hmm. but uh honestly i don't really have dysphoria very often anymore um which is really i mean <laughs> people might look at me and be like no i wouldn't be happy with where she's at um and and that's fine but like i'm pretty happy uh like where i'm at and like what i'm doing and um yeah so i'm not 100 percent sure on the end goal goal yeah. at this point is i I, I, I feel like, I mean, I think I feel like I've made it further than I ever thought I would. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of a lot <laughs> in and of itself. That's a really unfortunate thought that you mentioned there that, uh, you know, 
people wouldn't think that where you are in your journey is where they would want to be that i'm i'm very disheartened to hear that you know all, all of our journeys are different all of our journeys are beautiful you're exactly where you need to be when you need to be it so <laughs> um i think i say that because uh like we're all on our own process right mm -hmm. um yeah. and if i'm honest like when I realized I was trans, I was very transphobic. Um, and, and a lot of people are, I mean, let's, let's just be honest about that. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was one of the hardest parts for me. Yeah, absolutely. It was my yeah. own internalized transphobia. Even as I was started to come out, um, hanging out with trans folks was really made me uncomfortable. I just wasn't ready yeah. for it. And, and so like, I understand if somebody is still in their process and they look at me and be like, Oh, I want to do better than that or whatever. Like I'm okay with that. Uh, uh, I think that probably does reveal uh, a little bit of stuff that we all work through, but, um, it's kind of one of those things. Like you have to actually have that thought before you recognize what that thought, where that thought actually comes from. And so like, I kind of feel okay with people thinking it or possibly even saying it. Um, because I know that they're on their own, they're, they're on their own journey. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, that's one of our main things here in the transverse is that everybody's journey is valid and, mm -hmm. you know, we go through our own struggles to get there. Uh, yeah, no, no judgment and no gatekeeping here. You know, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing just fine. And, you know, as long as you're, being true to yourself and what you need, that's what's most important. My next question is, you know, you, you said you didn't really have too much of a, of a big goal. Have you found anything as you've moved along that has shifted in, you know, either what you thought you might want or thought you would never do that now you're kind of moving towards? Have your goals shifted as you've moved along? Um, yeah. So whenever I first, uh, whenever my egg cracked, I was, was first coming out um honestly like for almost the first year of transitioning uh i i was constant like i would say that i didn't want any kind of surgeries um <laughs> but that's changed it's like the more that you work through some dysphoria the more you realize that you have other dysphoria and so like that's like that um that one thing that i'm still like putting in order is so I can actually ha um, get bottom surgery. And that wasn't something I thought I was going to want whenever I first started transitioning. But um, like, I'm, I'm coming up on almost two years uh, of transition. And like, I, I kind of need it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it. And so yeah, that that's definitely that that's been a process like you, I think we have an idea sometimes of <clears throat> where we're going to be, where we're going to be happy with, but that changes because a lot of times we have so much repression that we don't even realize we have that once we start working through it, then it starts to unravel and we realize that, Oh, actually this might be true or, you know, whatever. And it's, like it's just really all kind of part of the process of going through that because you have like 
you have to work through so much to get to the place where you can actually say, this is who I am, that once that starts happening, like it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And that's one of the, those are a couple points that you bring up there that are why that question is key to ask on this show. One, it's a journey. Um, there mm -hmm. isn't a destination. It's a journey. You figure out along the way what's right for you and what you want to do. And all of it again is valid. And you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to change it. It's okay to want different things. And you will find that as you move along through it, it will shift. It's just a natural thing. And you're, you're you know, you have to shed a lot of that inner transphobia, all that, a lot of that inner hate and confusion about yourself and find what it is that you truly need and want and honor that. And mm -hmm. it takes time to get there. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. you're fairly short lived in, in your transition, you know, two years is, is a relatively short time, especially, you know, mm -hmm. as we, <laughs> those of us that transition in our thirties and later, but in that short time, do you feel there's anything that you've been able to accomplish because you are trans? Um, I'm basically everything that I'm doing now is because I'm trans. Uh, and a lot of it is because I got kicked out of seminary. Mm. So it's like, it's really weird to say, like, um, it kind of gave me a little bit of a platform to, to do what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, uh, I, I was able to head the trans day of remembrance service for, um, the entire disciples of Christ denomination. Mm -hmm. Um, it was put on by the, the disciples LGBTQ plus alliance. Um, like I, I, I'm getting to join with reap and like people are asking me to, uh, to, to tell the world how messed up, uh, the way that religious institutions are treating, uh, trans and queer students. Um, and then, uh, like I, I get been, had an opportunity to write a devotional that was published with our Bible app. Um, and I've written a few articles for different things. So like almost everything that I'm doing now is like trans and religiously uh, connected. And so, yeah, it's, it's almost like all of it, like outside of like my family and, and stuff like that, which was, has always been there. Um, basically everything is connected with being trans. Mm -hmm. I love that you're getting to live and focus all of your energy on the things that are the biggest in your life right now. You know, yeah. like you said, excluding family um, religion and being transgender. That's wonderful. Yeah. Is there a favorite thing that you have that you've learned in your journey? I've been able to like write theology, like theology stuff that is based in like very conservative um, hermeneutics and scholarship but come to like affirming points that has been, it's, it's been really cool. Um, like, uh, I think I'm not sure, but I think I'm the first person to publish something stating that, uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, uh, is actually, um, it, it is actually called a mother. Cause Joseph was gender diverse and 
that's a that's a whole thing that we can get into is is the very very apparent uh gender diverse um person in the book of genesis that at the end of this person's life the bible makes a very specific reference to the fact that they mothered their great grandkids uh, like adopted mother um and like i never knew that was there like nobody's nobody is reading taking conservative scholarship and being like oh hey actually if we like read things a little more consistently then we get to see a lot of different perspectives that might actually already be there hmm. so that's that's been a lot of fun for me to, to do that as we wrap up this section what advice do you have for younger closeted trans folks out there um specifically for closeted i would say uh be nice to yourself um there is no timeline to come out there uh there is no timeline to transition uh you know yourself you know your situation um and it like let's be honest <laughs> the world is kind of scary for being trans at the moment uh so just take care of yourself when you're ready to come out like we'll be here for you uh we're going to accept you and if you need to just come out to uh one person that you know that is going to be affirming then do that um just to be able to talk to somebody it it doesn't have to be this i'm coming out i'm living my life the way that i want to that i know i need to live it right now like take like take your time mm -hmm. find people that are going to affirm you find people that are going to love you through it all um like i said i'm on twitter if you're religious and you're trans and you're trying to reconcile that just hit me up and dm me because that's i mean that's kind of what i do <laughs> like i yeah that's so wonderful that you offer that. And I think that our community definitely can take advantage of that. So thank you. Yeah. Kaylee, thank you so much for being willing to come on here and share so much of your story. We really appreciate having you on here. I, I really enjoyed talking to you tonight. Thanks, I really appreciate being on and, and this was fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse and later on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the transverse. Keep up to date with our guest Kaylee at kayleehargrove.com. If you love what we're doing and want to help support the transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.